Welcome to Make It Click, a podcast about training, enriching, and loving your canine best friend. I'm Liz Knight, certified professional dog trainer, here to share dog knowledge, share stories, and break down info for you. I'm here to help make it click. For this episode, my guest is Holly Boys. Holly is a multi-species force-free crossover trainer, a certified trick dog instructor and triple crown coach, and a force-free content creator. She's currently working through her DNDTC, which is a force-free dog training distinction with Dognostics. She's also a full-time reptile breeder and stays busy looking after her many personal pets on her and her husband's farm in Northern Ontario, Canada. Like many of us trainers, uh, animals have been an obsession from day one. And Holly always knew she was going to make a living surrounded by them. She taught the family dog a few tricks as a kid and was completely hooked on training since then. After discovering trick titles, Holly worked her way up to grand champion with both of her dogs. She also went on to earn an expert trick title with her cat and became the first person in the world to earn a trick title with a hedgehog, which we're going to touch on a little bit in this episode. Uh, Gradually, she made the crossover from balance to force-free training after rescuing a pit bull named Daisy, and it's become Holly's mission to show others the amazing things that can be accomplished through positive reinforcement and force-free training. And in this episode, Holly and I got to talk about a topic that I both think is important and one that is personal to me, and that is the topic of crossover training. Holly and I are both crossover trainers, which means we at one point used aversives, corrections, and punishment as part of training, and then we ditched those techniques and shifted to a force-free positive reinforcement methodology. Being a crossover trainer and what that journey looks like can be a little different for everyone, but Holly and I found during our chat that we actually had quite a few elements in common. During our conversation, we share a bit about our journeys, what prompted us to switch to a new method, the valuable things we learned as a result, and how being crossover trainers helps us to tap into a specific kind of compassion for pet guardians who are struggling with their dog's behavior. I will add a minor trigger warning for this episode. We do talk a bit about our own time as balanced trainers, where we do reference some of the corrections and tools that we used at that time. So if that discussion will be triggering for you, please feel free to skip this episode or listen to one of our other positive reinforcement focused episodes. Hope you enjoy this chat. Well, hi, Holly. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. Um, So before we kind of hop in, we're going to talk about our sort of our own journeys as being crossover trainers and how that impacts us now. But I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself with people listening if they don't know you. Sure. Um, I am a multi-species force-free trainer. Um, I'm a content creator. Um, I'm a trick dog instructor, a triple crown coach with Do More Through Dog, and I'm currently working through my DNDTC, which is a dog training distinction through Dognostics, who are a force-free career center. Awesome. You have a, a whole lot of things that you're either working on or that you have achieved, which I think is very cool. Um, I do want to shout out the fun fact of, I'm sure I'll have you introduce your pets in a moment, but I think you have a particularly fun trick distinction with a particularly fun animal is that correct yes i i do have um the world's first titled trick hedgehog his name is tater mctavish (laughs) 
that name came to Incredibly. me at 5am. <laughs> I have no further explanation other than that. Um, but he does have his uh, advanced trick hedgehog title, believe it or not. That's amazing. And I didn't know I needed that fact in my life, yeah. but I'm so glad that I have it. So thank the you. fun fact you didn't know you needed. <laughs> so other than uh, other than Tater, <clears throat> what are the other pets in your life currently? Well, I, I mean, there are many, but I'm going to like <laughs> the, the main ones, the... Um, warm-blooded variety because I do have a mm. lot of reptiles. Um, I have Haji, who is a French bulldog mix. He's three years old. I have Ripley, who is an American bulldog mix. She just turned two. I have two horses, a 25-year-old uh, quarter horse paint mare named Summer, um, and a three-year-old gypsy banner gelding named D'Artagnan. And I have a sphinx cat named Newt. And uh, if anyone wants to see some really excellent cat in clothing content. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fashion show. Fashion show. Fashion show at lunch. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend <laughs> I will share. Um, also, spoiler alert, Holly and I are both silly humans. So there likely is to be laughter throughout the duration of this podcast. So if you don't like laughter, now would be the time yeah. to uh, switch to a different episode. <laughs> This is the the wheeze trigger warning. <laughs> wheeze laughing uh, is a particular specialty of the the goofy trainers, of course. Um, <laughs> so I know you and I connected uh, via the wonderful internet, the wonderful mm -hmm. world of Instagram, um, and then discovered that we are both what we would call being a, a crossover trainer. Um, and there's, I think, especially recently, I've been seeing more of an uptick in people who are sharing sort of their own crossover trainer stories. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my dog is currently trying to get into the trash can. Um, management, we're just going to turn that around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but of people sharing their own crossover trainer stories um, and putting it out in the world that it's a thing that is okay for us to talk about. Um, mm -hmm. Because absolutely a lot of feelings that come up when we think about sort of ways we used to train versus ways we train now. Um, but for you, what a, what's sort of your definition of, uh, of being a crossover trainer? What does that mean for you? Um, that means that I, hmm, give me a second with that one. I guess very simply, it means that I used to believe that it was acceptable and ethical to include punishment and corrections in my training, um, in my behavior modification. And I no longer believe those things. Um, I do not actively plan corrections, punishment, aversives, things like that into my training now. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I define it very similarly. It's I used to I used to believe that those things were necessary. Absolutely, um, yeah. For training and for learning because that's what I was taught and mm -hmm. now I don't A don't believe they're necessary and B believe that they are harmful to our learners, you know, mm -hmm. either physically, emotionally. Um <clears throat> however you might want to define harm because there are lots of different levels mm -hmm. of that, but um, and, you know, I, I would 
venture a guess that for both of us, it isn't just that this is something we woke up one morning and decided to believe in, yeah. um, that it <laughs> was a bit of a, of a journey. So um, mm-hmm. I thought we maybe would start with us each sort of sharing what our what our own sort of journeys looked like, how we got started in training, and then how that shifted into mm-hmm. what it looks like now. Okay. So do you want me to start? Can we start with sure, my journey? Right. <laughs> so I, I don't know if everyone has a dog that they would kind of consider their crossover dog, but mm-hmm. I definitely do. Um, <clears throat> my husband and I rescued um, a five-year-old pit bull named Daisy. Um, just a quick kind of backstory on Daisy. And I, I do want to put a trigger warning here because it, you know, I'm going to be talking about harsh methods that were used on her. And if that's triggering for anyone, that's, this is not going to be a pleasant story for you to listen to. So, um, she was initially abandoned on the side of the highway with a muzzle on. So we don't know anything about her before then. Uh, but she was picked up by the Humane Society and then grandfathered in as a pit bull uh, because we have breed-specific legislation in, in Ontario, unfortunately. Right. So from there, um, she went to a home with another pit bull-type dog. Um, and she wound up getting attacked by that dog, had to be rushed to the vet for surgery to save her life that home decided that it's obviously wasn't a good fit. Now that this has happened, they sent her to another home, which began uh, training with a shock collar with her. They, uh, I think they were having another kid. So they decided that Daisy wasn't right for them. They sent her back to the previous home where she had been attacked. And at that point was where we scooped her up. So Mm -hmm. she was a little bit, a lot of a wreck (laughs) when, when we got her. <clears throat> so her issues, some of her issues, she had what I would call like true aggression, like with intent to harm some mm-hmm. other dogs, not all other dogs, some other dogs. Um, she had what some people call correction aggression. That's what I would have called it. Now I'm going to say she just had boundaries that she was willing to reinforce and sure. um, she didn't want to be treated that way. So she would uh, correction aggression. I don't know if, uh, you're familiar with that term or some of the listeners are, but it's basically Mm -hmm. a dog that's going to redirect on you when you correct them. So that was um, a pretty big part of my crossover, even just that issue, because it left me without one of my only tools that I had a correction. So Mm -hmm. she was fearful of being touched and and restrained Um, overexcitability and huge fallout from the shock collar. So these are the issues we were dealing with with Daisy and unfortunately I was still subscribing to balance training methods like this was still my main method of behavior modification so um it didn't take long to see that she wasn't responding to those methods um which included you know corrections we were doing pack walks all those kinds of things um structured walks (laughs) yeah so um her fear fueled behaviors were obviously getting a lot worse. Um, we did reach out to a trainer at that point, a balanced trainer um, who gave us the most bizarre advice that we ever received through this whole thing. Uh, and I sent him like pictures and video and we talked at length and he wound up saying, I think if when you walk her, you could just keep your heads up higher. I think that would do a lot for her. And I, and 
And, I was like, trust me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After all of this, uh, this is the advice. So that advice didn't work. Um, so we wound up taking her to the vet to rule out a physical issue. Um, mm-hmm. And when she found out there was a bite history there, the vet took us through this behavior questionnaire. And at the end of the behavior questionnaire, it was recommended that we put Daisy to sleep. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So our hard options here. Yeah. Hard, hard stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, our options were to try something else entirely or listen to my vet and have her put to sleep. So we, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We, we brought her home. We decided to kind of dive into some other methods. Um, I read a book called click to calm by mm-hmm. Emma Parsons. Um, and that kind of started me down the path, but it was very gradual. Um, <clears throat> I started to let go of the belief that behaviors came from a place of like your dog wanting to dominate you, mm-hmm. wanting to kind of lead the pack. And once I started to let that go, it sort of like freed me up to see some of the behaviors for what they really are. A lot of them were fear. Um, and if you've got a dog that, excuse me, is behaving in a certain way because they're afraid, and then you go and add a correction on top of that, everything just gets worse. So it seemed like every time I would let go of sort of like a harmful ideal, we would see progress with Daisy. And Mm. so it was very reinforcing. I I hear a lot of people say that uh, punishment is reinforcing for the trainer. And that can definitely be true. But with Daisy, what was really interesting is that it was very reinforcing to let go some of these more harsher methods because of the success we would see, you know, we would see, because at the end of the day, all of her behaviors were coming from emotions. And Mm -hmm. once we started to be more considerate of those emotions, you start to see that, that progress there. Um, I read somewhere, I wish I could remember where so I could apply appropriate credit, but I do not remember. The statement was dogs do what's rewarding, just kind of plain and simple. And that really clicked with me. And I think that's the day that my belief in dominance theory died. Oh, that's so funny. You can sort of identify. Yeah. I started to look back over all of her behaviors to see like certain things that we thought were her being dominant were trying to rush out the door ahead of us, that, that kind of stuff. Because that's what we were told. That's, you know, your dog is trying to dominate you when they're trying to go first. They're trying to eat first or whatever. They're trying to get through the door. And if you really want to send the message home that you're the one that's in charge, you need to be out the door before, before they are. And that didn't always work for me. Like sometimes if I had an armload of groceries and I opened the door, like I kind of wanted her to go first. Sure. And so you've, you've got that fear where you're like, oh, if I let my dog do this, what message is that sending? It's, mm-hmm. it's like giving... It's like giving kind of sinister motives to your dog thinking this way where you're like, Ooh, I don't want to send the wrong message. I don't want them to think now they're calling the shots. Well, I asked her to go through the door first. And so she went through the door first, like where, where's the harm in that? So I I started to see kind of the flaws in my own logic after reading that statement, dogs do what's rewarding. And uh, it helped me reframe a lot of the behaviors that I was seeing. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, there's so much of this that resonates with me. I'm so excited to keep yeah, talking. Yeah, that's cool. I can't. I can't wait to hear your story. Yeah. I. I mean, first, I just want to tag on really quickly to the concept of like shifting 
away from balanced training it can both be really hard and really time consuming, mm-hmm. but also so freeing because it sort of forces you to open your mind to so many other ideas that you mm-hmm. maybe didn't have access to before, or, you know, certain belief systems that were installed in us previously sort of mm-hmm. blocked us from to access those other ideas. Um, and I too felt like there was this whole world that I got to open myself up to once I made the conscious decision to like take corrections and punishment out of the equation mm-hmm. and to remove like dominance-based thought processes from mm-hmm. my repertoire, you know, yeah. um, which like, again, I think we'll probably talk about how like making this tr- kind of transition can be really hard in a lot of ways, especially for like the average pet guardian who mm-hmm. is trying to find the right answers, but it can be, it is so freeing <laughs> to learn yeah. that there's whole other big wide world out there um with really incredible things that you can learn and then and then apply right yeah so much more than just tossing cookies absolutely yes so much more than tossing cookies like yes we toss cookies but (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's more to it than that absolutely Yeah. yeah well you know my my journey started with i love that you mentioned like you think a lot of crossover trainers might have like a crossover dog Mm-hmm. For me, that was my dog Molly, who um, was also my first dog, my first ever dog, uh, because I I grew up with a lot of animals. Um, we had a group in the woods in New Hampshire. Um, we had cats and birds and guinea pigs and rabbits and goats and chickens and you know all kinds of stuff. But we never had dogs because my mom wasn't a big fan of dogs. Mm-hmm. So I would sort of commandeer my neighbor's <clears throat> dogs or dogs <laughs> to mm-hmm. spend time with. But, of course. Um, Molly was the first ever dog that I had. Uh, and I was an adult and I knew basically nothing in classic form. I thought I knew a lot, but yes, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same Z's um, on right? that one. <laughs> I thought I was a damn good trainer. Yeah. Right. And you know, Molly came into my life and I wasn't a trainer yet when we brought her home. Um, she's also what prompted that direction for me just to start with. It's why her oh, that's so special. Um, which is a fun little fact, but uh, she was not even two yet. And she had lived in like six different places. Oh she did bounce to a couple of shelters in the Southern U S transported up on a big truck with uh, her litter mates. So she was like bounced around to a couple shelters when she was like less than 12 weeks old and on a transport truck. Um, she sat at a, I shouldn't say sat at a rescue. She was in a foster, which is great and was like mm-hmm. much, a much better situation than a lot of dogs end up in. Um, but she was the only one of her litter who wasn't adopted. So she was at her foster for about a year, adopted, returned pretty quickly, ended up at a different foster, um, came back to this foster with some perceivable issues with Mm -hmm. strangers. Um, And then we brought her home about three weeks after she had landed at the second foster. And so they knew some about her, but they of course didn't know a huge amount because they had only had her for a few weeks. Um, But she came to us with pretty significant um, what I would label as reactivity towards both other dogs and towards people primarily unfamiliar people, but some people that she spent more time with. So for example, uh, my poor father-in-law who I was living with at the time, Mm -hmm. um, Molly thought that he was the devil incarnate and (laughs) 
did not want him in the house at all, which was very, very hard. And I'm mm-hmm. so of the fact that he allowed us to stay. Yeah, with no doubt. To murder him. Um, but we, you know, called the trainer because we were like, this is what you do when you have a dog that is showing some behaviors that we don't really like so much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we went to obedience class. That's what we did. Obedience class was mm, fine overall, I would say. Mm-hmm. Not an environment where she was necessarily set up for success just because right. it was an enclosed space with a bunch of other dogs. And yeah. <laughs> Which looking back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, duh, of course. Yeah. she's <laughs> Sink or swim, Molly. Happy right. Hunger Games. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she was, she was not a happy camper. Poor thing. Um, so we ended up going to a local uh, behavior specialist, I think I'll say, mm-hmm. um, who was a balanced trainer. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what that label meant at the right. time. Um, but I started going to training there with Molly. And then I eventually started interning and then that turned into a career um, before I transitioned to becoming a force-free trainer. I was mm-hmm. getting paid to <laughs> use balance training on other people's dogs, mm-hmm. uh, which is a whole other, there's a whole lot of like human feelings that go into yeah, that. Of course. Too. Um, but similarly, like I was being told to do all of these things, like walk out of the door ahead of my dog, eat before my dog. Um, you know, dogs had to earn the right. I'm putting this in quotes, not that you can see it because this is yes. an auditory yeah. format. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dogs had to like earn the right to be on the furniture. Um, and all of these things that I was being told tied into this like dominance, you need to show your dog that you're in charge and that you're the boss. And that's something that's going to help them, you know, quote, behave. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it wasn't really working for us. I'll say it wasn't working from the perspective of we weren't really seeing behavior change in the way that I was hoping. And it didn't feel awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I right? hear that. Like, <laughs> I relate to that so hard. Yeah. It's like I was doing all of these things and following the instructions and both feeling like I sort of made a little bit of, I'll say, progress in the fact that she maybe would be less barky lungy at stuff. Um, right. Now I know it was probably just because she was being walked on a prong collar and mm-hmm. didn't really have the option to bark and lunge without that yeah. causing physical discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that she was actively like, oh, I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but it also didn't feel great for me either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I embarked on this journey of like doing a lot of research and I started a graduate school program and was able to be exposed to a lot of other new stuff um in terms of training and i found people online back like before i officially started my business i was able to find some accounts of people that i still follow which is very cool that i like a lot from um but it it was like a very slow transition for me in some ways because i was actively working at another facility and getting paid right to do work in the balanced world where me walking in and saying hey i'm gonna put this paying client's dog on a harness and remove all corrections from our repertoire and try out this new stuff I read about mm-hmm. on the internet. That's not going to go over so yeah. hard. No doubt. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, however well-intentioned on my part. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. Um, 
but once I was able to, you know, I feel very lucky in that I was able to leave that environment and sort of go on this journey on my own. Mm-hmm. And the sheer amount of skills and knowledge that I feel like were opened up to me after I took away the option to use corrections and to use punishment is like mind boggling. Isn't it amazing how so often I see balanced training and corrections marketed more as like, you you know, your, your dog's getting the short end of the stick. If you don't use these methods, because now they're missing information. Yeah. I always found that um, I would get to a point when I was balanced training where my only option felt like to correct harder Mm -hmm. to make it hurt more is what it boiled down to. And you're not necessarily thinking that as you're correcting, but at the end of the day, that's really what you're doing. And now when I come up against a training challenge, I feel like I just have this like buffet of options in front of me of different things I can try, even though it's supposed to be, according to some people, a little more restrictive where this isn't as much information for your dog and this is an incomplete picture for them. And they're not going to have the same understanding if you don't tell them what they shouldn't do and when they shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it just hasn't been my experience that my dogs are missing anything because they're not told no, and they're not given a correction. Yeah. I think that's such an important piece to talk about too, is that not removing no and removing corrections doesn't mean that our dogs have less information. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I think that that is one aspect of humanizing non-human learners that can be problematic where it's assuming that, you know, because there may be contexts where we can tell people no and have it be interpreted very differently because we have a different ability to communicate with with language that is a, a mm-hmm. common aspect between us as mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, our the way that we learn about the world may be a little different. Now, that's not to say that like errorless learning and positive reinforcement is not also great for humans because it mm-hmm. absolutely is. Agreed. Um, but like, just because we take away the option to say no doesn't mean that our dogs are somehow limited in their ability to learn and experience the world and communicate with us or and and be good canine citizens. Like they're not walking around as demon dogs just because nobody's telling them no. And that is really something when I first started to read about force retraining and what that entailed it's it's really something that I felt was a flaw in force-free training um yeah just because I, I hadn't gone down far enough I guess in the rabbit hole to really see that it's um there's a lot of ways to show our dogs and motivate our dogs to do what we need them to do or what we want them to do um Yeah. And I also think there's this thought that force-free training, not saying no, means that we just sort of let our dogs run amok. Permissiveness. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we just, we go on a walk and they can do whatever. And we have no concept of respect for others, which is also, you know, force-free training done well. That is not at all what we're looking Mm -hmm. at. Yeah. That's that that wouldn't, that wouldn't work for me. It wouldn't work for me to have very poorly behaved dogs. I I wouldn't still be doing this type of training if I wasn't seeing great results with well-behaved dogs that are well-adjusted. Um, 
that aren't causing me grief every day. Like this, this wouldn't work for me. It's not, you know, behavior is not good behavior. You can't see my quotation fingers, but uh, (laughs) this is not a sacrifice that I was willing to make. This training had to work for me to continue doing it. I I wasn't willing to be like, well, I'm just going to stop caring about behavior now and be a force-free trainer. (laughs) That's not what happened. That's not how it worked for me. And I know it's not how it worked for you either. Yeah. I mean, I also think that's another common thing that I hear is people seem to have this concept that switching from balanced or even from straight compulsion training to force-free training means that you give up on getting to a certain level of training or behavior with your dogs. And I would argue that you only expand it because you're looking at so many other facets of behavior. You're not looking at just, you know, cue output. (laughs) Yeah. Like cue add (laughs) output. Yeah. Like that's, what we're looking at because dogs are not in fact uh computers or robots yeah in a shot as it turns out (laughs) breaking news yeah Um, (laughs) you know but it's it's not limiting how far we can go i argue Mm -hmm. that it expands it because we're able to you know a have a much better understanding of our learners at the at least that's been my experience Mm -hmm. um let's have a much better understanding of our learners and what their needs are and figuring out how to meet and respect those while also looking at what needs I need met as a human in order to have my dog live successfully in a, to be fair, a very human centric yeah, <laughs> no doubt. world. Right. Mm-hmm. But it like, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't limit how far, how high we can, how high we can fly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with our training <laughs> yeah absolutely I know it is uh, I feel like my horizons have only been expanded you know it's uh yeah like no is just one thing a correction is just like one thing and it almost feels like that's all I had before so it's like I like trade in this one thing for all these other things Yeah. 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 I love that. Fair trade. I think of it now, you know, it used to be that I, we would talk about like tools in your toolbox and that Mm -hmm. was often literally talking about tools. It was talking about, yeah, it was, it was physical. It was collar leash, you know, leash corrections Mm and stuff like that. Now I think about it as like, what do I have in my playbook? Because it's more expanded (laughs) and it's so much more like skill and behavior based and Mm -hmm. observation based. And um, that to me, just that, that feels nicer. That feels better for my soul. (laughs) Yeah. And like being able to change the environment around to help your dog be successful. Whereas I was actively changing the environment to provoke a response that I didn't want to see from my dog so that I could correct it. And when I look back on it now, I'm like, that's such a backwards way to do it. Like, that's how it feels for me now looking back. Like, um, I, I really believe that if I wanted to stop a behavior, I needed to correct my dog while it was doing that behavior. That was the right. only way to do it, to tease that behavior out and then stamp it out no, we don't do that anymore. I don't want you to react that way. Yeah. It was the whole, like, the behavior. Yeah, exactly. It was the whole, you know, behavior has to be performed in order to be 
changed, mm-hmm. which as we both know now is not accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it we don't need to <laughs> force a dog to elicit a specific behavior in order yeah. to then <laughs> uh, have an intervention for that yeah. particular behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, when it comes to it sounds like we had similar crossover sort of journeys in some ways, and especially having dogs who had some hard times before they came to us. Mm -hmm. Um, But are there ways that you find that being a crossover trainer influences how you train now? I mean, obviously it's removing of of corrections and intentional Mm -hmm. punishment and all of that, but are there other things that you think about that influence right now? Fully. I've, I think, um, I wasn't expecting it to have this effect, but I feel I'm more compassionate, not only to dogs, but also to guardians. Mm-hmm. And that was a little unexpected for me. Um, but when I talk to a guardian who is still using corrections or methods that I've decided to walk away from, I've, I have compassion for them because I've been there. Um, I don't have a desire to shame them or blame them really because they're doing what someone else told them to do. They're doing what someone else told them was going to help their dog. Right, right. And I feel because I've been there, it's, I just have this different level of compassion that I would have otherwise had maybe. Um, I never really considered the dog's emotional experience before, mm-hmm. not to the level that I do now. Um, and now the dog's emotional experience above anything else, it like, that's my priority. Um, it's a priority over results, but thankfully when you change emotion, you change behavior. So quite often you're going to see those results anyway. Um, but that's, that's the biggest shift for me, I would say, um, how I'm, how it influences me now. You know, it makes me think of, this is something I hadn't really thought about in this way before, but because obviously I knew that I now consider dog emotions very differently than I used to, Mm -hmm. but I think that I initially was taught to, yes, consider dog's emotions, but from the sense that we would sort of just label that emotion and then not necessarily do anything with it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, this dog is doing this because they're fearful. And then that was it. And then it was basically every intervention honestly kind of looked the same regardless of what we were saying, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, some of those interpretations may have been more accurate than others Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) because I know, you know, I, I definitely know that my body language knowledge uh, increased tenfold and continues to increase. (laughs) Yes to that. Um, It wasn't just like, Oh, that's submission. Everything was either dominance or submission there was like almost no in between right so it's like oh look submission good this is good we want submission right right and it i mean a it's so much more nuanced than that which we know and b now we're never going for submission yeah go to (laughs) that's not the goal (laughs) right right (laughs) but you know i also think i totally agree that i have a sort of a different brand of compassion now for understanding dog guardians where they're coming from when it comes to looking for help with their dogs. Yes. Like I totally understand how a dog guardian could end up working with a trainer who uses aversives Mm -hmm. because I did that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and like I considered myself a fairly intelligent human, Mm -hmm. um, but 
I was being told by a professional that this was what needed to happen in order for my dog to live their life with me. So I listened to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I'm sure this happens to you too, where you get calls from dog guardians or pet guardians in general who express their own sort of shame and guilt around having used particular methods in the past. For um, sure. And I know for me, I only feel compassion for that yeah. because I know what that feels like. Yeah. <laughs> you know? how, how big of a hypocrite would we have to be as uh, crossover trainers to look at that and shame it, you know, yeah. or, or judge because it's, we've been there. We've truly been there. Yeah. Yeah. And there is, you know, for anyone listening who is experiencing those feelings, there is definitely shame that can go along with it. Um, and there also can be a fair amount of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. when you're try- when you're learning about a new method, right? Like if you have had certain thoughts ingrained in you, certain belief systems ingrained in you, and then you start learning something new that counteracts that or that contradicts it, mm-hmm. that can be very confusing too. Yeah, and it's when you do decide to make a change, um, if you're like what you're changing can really be as deep as like your fundamental belief systems about Mm -hmm. your dog and how they're supposed to fit into your life. That change is going to take a while before it feels like it's automatic for you. And I think for me, I had to plan a lot of kind of contingencies into my training as I was crossing over for if I slipped back into my old mm-hmm. methods that came so naturally to me, like leash pops were so instinctive for me that, oh, yeah, that, that muscle memory saved me and my dog's life, you know, mm-hmm. because it was such a different feeling if I would mistakenly go, you know, just instinctively go to pop that leash and all of a sudden it's like sprawling instead of that <laughs> sharp feeling. It's like, Oh, right. Okay. Pick something else, Holly, you know, like it's not how we deal with this anymore. So um, we all make Which is also such a nice antecedent arrangement that you did for yourself, like such a nice environmental change that you did for yourself. Me up for success too. Right, right. But I think that's also such an important thing is that I know for me, one of the things I've learned is that there are ways that we can also set the humans up for better success. Mm -hmm. For (laughs) sure. Our plus and force free training. You know, it's not just like hand emulation and go forth there's a lot more that goes into that too um but yeah sorry i have to agree no i was just gonna say leash pops were another one for me that Mm -hmm. i i had to actively work on not exercising that muscle memory of just yeah yeah takes a while to change and uh i realized that the shame that i carried uh it wasn't serving me or my dogs So because of that, uh, I decided to just let it go. And there's some days that I have to let it go a couple times a day. If I get Mm -hmm. thinking about things I've done in the past or the way that I used to deal with some of these issues. Um, But it's, it's worth making the effort to let that shame go because it's not doing anything for you. It's not doing anything for your pets. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking about that a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I was going through like cleaning out some old computer files and I found a couple of old training videos from like 2016 mm-hmm. and I, they weren't labeled. So I was just opening them up to figure out what stuff was, what I could delete. And 
it was really almost physically painful for Aww. me to see some of those because I felt so I felt so much shame and so much guilt about having trained that way. And like right. in the scheme of things, these were f- not the absolute worst, you know, right. examples of, of balanced or, you know, compulsion training in the world by any means. Mm-hmm. But there was so much about watching it that I know I could do differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just want to go have, back. Oh, yeah. Oh my I gosh. Know. I want to go back and just like brain dump everything I know now. Yeah. <laughs> into into that person from six years ago you know mm-hmm. um but yeah it's I think it's hard and I think that something that I've learned too is that I mean I, I really enjoy the human coaching part of doing mm-hmm. the work that you and I both do um but I especially enjoy it when it's someone who is working on crossing over absolutely because I feel like we can connect on that level yeah yeah, that understanding is there. Yeah. yeah. I found um, force-free trainers very intimidating. I found, um, you know, whether or not this was real or just perceived, I, I really feared being judged. And mm-hmm. while I was making the, the crossover, I didn't feel like I had a lot of support because I was too force-free for the balance community mm-hmm. and to balance for the force free community. And it was like very isolating. It. Yeah. It was very yeah. isolating. Um, until I got to the point where, uh, I was able to definitely fall more on the force free side of the spectrum. So I've, my goal is to be the type of trainer, the type of person and content creator that I would have felt safe approaching while I was crossing over. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause especially, I think especially in a world where, I mean, there's so much information available oh. online mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's hard just to figure out like what the right information is about how to define dog training in general, oh, which I I've gone on about that in the past, but <laughs> it's you know, a it's swamp. Hard. You're wading through a swamp. There's so much to wade through. And I, I agree. Like I want, I want people to feel comfortable both accessing the the content that I do put out and also just talking to me if they have mm-hmm. questions or like they want to know, you know, anyone that genuinely wants to learn more about why I train the way that I do. I'm mm-hmm. thrilled to talk about yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it, I think it can be really hard if the only information you see is, information that whether it's just the perception as the reader or if that's the intention of the person creating the content, if it feels like it's shaming for yeah. a pet guardian. Right. And I do want to clarify that, like, I feel this way for pet guardians. If there are trainers who have, if there are trainers who are professional trainers who are charging money for their work, who have access to information about force free training and actively choose not to do anything about it like mm-hmm. if you just haven't been introduced to that yet i i was there <laughs> yeah yep right <laughs> um but like if you're a pet guardian and you're trying to figure out what's right if you feel like you're going to only be welcomed with shame and guilt then you're probably not gonna try to change anything about what you're doing because that mm. doesn't or it's going to take you a lot longer to change what you're doing because you don't have coaching you know you don't have someone 
compassionate to kind of meet you where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to, to make that change if you don't feel like you have a support system. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so small plug that if anyone has questions and wants to talk about this, I'm sure that Holly or I would be. Yeah. We're here. We're here for it. (laughs) Um, so, you know, we, we kind of touched on body language a little bit. Um, and I know body language is one of the things that I took away from my previous balance training experience was Mm -hmm. that body language is not just those sort of two categories of dominant and submissive. There's so much more (laughs) nuance to it. Um, but do you find that there are particular sort of lessons that you took away from your previous balance training experiences? Yeah, definitely. Um, Number one, suppressed behavior is not truly gone. (laughs) Mm. Just because you could stop it in that moment, or even if you can stop it, you know, 10, 12, 20, 30, 100 times, um, that doesn't mean that a problem is fixed. Um, It's definitely something that I experienced that once you sign up for using corrections to address a behavior, um, it's not one and done. At some point, even through the maintenance phase of the behavior, you've got to be ready to pull out your corrections again. Mm -hmm. So I've had always heard people say, you know, well, a a prong collar is not designed where you're going to want to use it forever. You know, you're going to use it and do your training. And, but I mean, how many people do you know that have successfully like phased out the prong to a lesser form of correction and kind of had that work? Maybe these people exist, but I've haven't met one yet where it's, that's, mm-hmm. you know, truly what's happened. It's like, you're, you're signing up for, you're signing up for something forever, whether you want that to be like cookies or corrections, behavior needs to be maintained somehow. Right. So that was a big right. one. Um, We've already touched on, you know, change emotions, change behavior. Um, I don't really find that it works backwards. I don't really find Mm -hmm. that we can change emotions by just nipping that behavior in the bud. Um, Or we might change emotions in the direction we prefer not to change. Yeah, right. Yeah, 100%. I find there's something I really took away was there is clarity in direction for the dog when we're able to tell them exactly what it is we want them to do. There's Mm -hmm. so much clarity in that for them rather than just this. No, no, no. Yeah. Stop anything you want to say. Like there's, that's not a lot of information that doesn't offer a lot of information. There's so much more clarity in providing a clear direction for them to go. Yeah. Yeah with your cues I mean, it's like or the, the way you're arranging your environment. Right. Yeah. Which all can play into what a cue looks like. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always get excited talking about that kind of stuff, but it's off topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, it's the, it's like the no is not a behavior phrase that I wish I had heard so much sooner in my <laughs> dog training journey. Holly's currently standing here. She's wearing that shirt. It's perfect. <laughs> you know but like saying no okay we said no to this one behavior there is a whole world of other options how the heck is our dog supposed to know yeah 
And what how did we it? how did we teach what no means? Yeah. Does no mean stop what you're doing now or else? Mm-hmm. And I think if we boil it down that way, I know for me, that's not, even though I was using no, that's not really what I wanted it to mean, but that's what it did mean. Like at the end of the day, stop it now or else. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of how I was taught too. Um, you know, or that I, what I was taught was to tell dogs, you can't offer any behavior except for this one specific one. Right. And that one specific behavior is not actually going to meet any of the dog's needs or understand Mm. their comfort level, right? Like I'm thinking specifically about um, working sort of reactivity on walks, like leash reactivity, for example. It was the only behavior that is acceptable when a dog passes is for you to sit and look directly at me. Right. And all other options will be punished. Right, exactly. All other options will be punished. And we're not going to have any respect for what distance is you're in your comfort level, mm-hmm. what, you know, the other dog's approach looks like. None of that was relevant. It was just sit still, look at me mm-hmm. is the only acceptable behavior. And sure, we might reward that. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it it ended up, A, it ended up feeling very rigid and not in a helpful way at all. Right. <laughs> like, like, and it often would backfire because mm-hmm. obviously the dogs were extremely uncomfortable and that was yeah. a huge giant ask um yeah. you know for any dog to do that specific behavior so i know for me like it, the providing clarity and understanding what version of clarity is going to be most helpful and humane and appropriate mm-hmm. like, those are the that. things that i i value so much more now that i understand them better yeah. I, you will never regret being more compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I think about like, you know, in 200 years when my dogs die, because they're obviously going to live forever. For, I refuse yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. Else. Um, <laughs> I would much rather look back on my life and be happy with all the things that I gave them and the compassion that I showed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure I will still look back on some things and be like, Oh, I wish I had done that differently. But if I can add more compassion now, I, I don't see a world in which I would regret that happening. Yeah. Agree. Well, I know that for me, I'm, very passionate about force-free training. And I know that for you, that is very similar. Yes. We same, we same. Um, do you think that, be, for you, do you think that being a crossover trainer makes you feel extra passionate about force-free and R+. It does. But I do find um, it's, I, I'm constantly checking myself to make sure that I'm not, approaching this from like a really self-righteous kind of place, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But there is a night and day difference between an animal that is happy to comply and one that is scared to make a mistake. Yeah. And it took, it took me having the two different versions of these dogs to kind of really see that difference brought out in the same dog, Mm -hmm. in, in the same animal. Um, and it's, it does 
I get excited when people start asking about even like trick training and treats and and stuff like that. I'm just like, oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love this because your dog is going to love this. And then you're going to see so much more enthusiasm. Like it just, I get so excited for people. And I think that's kind of really fuels my passion. Um, Seeing people check back in and be like, oh my gosh, I did this and she did that and she loved it. You know, like seeing that when people start to recognize their pet's emotional difference there, that really gets me going. And the closest bonds that I've shared with any of my animals have all been centered around the force-free approach Mm. to our relationship. And that is something that I really want to share with people too, because I think a lot of people are using corrections because they feel that they have to Mm -hmm. and so it's exciting for me to have the potential to share with people you don't actually have to do that like I know that's what someone told you but you can have a great life with your dog where you're both happy without that that would have been great news for me to hear like 10 years ago you know (laughs) right right Um, so it's definitely that passion is there because um, when you see the difference firsthand, it's hard not to be excited about it. Yeah. And I love thinking about like the amount of relief I felt when I learned that I didn't have to give corrections. Yeah. When I didn't have to. You weren't going to have a bad dog. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think that there's unfortunately something that some, I think many balanced and compulsion trainers do very well is that that sort of worry about, OMG, I'm going to have a bad dog (laughs) and it's going to be my fault is something that is sort of baked into like Mm -hmm. marketing. And I have seen the fear mongering for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, I think it it continues to feed into the cycle of pet guardians feeling like they are doing something wrong and that their pets, you know, I'll say, quote, bad behavior is a reflection of them as a human. Mm-hmm. And that isn't accurate, right? Yeah. You know, of course, the, our behavior can influence our pet's behavior, but it it's not in the way that it sort of is made out to be on some of the, you know, social media that we see of... yeah. Like guardians being shamed for letting their dog go out the door first, mm -hmm. right? Like, (laughs) or you know, letting their dog sleep in the bed and their dog has separation anxiety, and that's why because you let your dog sleep in the bed, you know, right? That's this is what you get, this is why your pet is like this, right? And you know, it, it breaks my heart to know that there are probably so many people out there who are feeling like it's their fault and that they don't know who to reach out to for help. And I mm-hmm. also know that I was one of those people for a while. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, Same. but it, it, I think for me, the reason I feel so strongly about force free is because I've gotten to directly experience the joy that my dogs experience and that I experience mm-hmm. through, you know, embracing this methodology and like, it's extremely exciting it to is. talk to people or see people who are like, hey, we were doing this new, you know, game-based training activity with yeah. my dog. We were having a great time and I was having a great time. And I'm like, that's what I want it to always feel like. For I know, you. all the time. It's uh, it's exciting for me, like, looking back 
over my choices and, you know, the methodologies of the past. I'm at a place now where I'm, I'm doing what I never thought I could. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. think this was possible when I first started reading about it. I'm like, well, that's fine for people that have zero expectations of their dogs. Right. But it's not fine like for easy me. dogs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and here I am doing what I thought I never could. And I want to help others achieve that same awesome feeling that I have. Yeah. Force free training, helping you feel awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Our new sellable tagline. <laughs> yeah. Cue Price is Right music. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I just want other people to be able to experience, you know, even even some of the joy that I get to feel with my dogs now. And that's not to say that there aren't still times that are hard and frustrating and sure. <laughs> normal to feel annoyed with yeah, your dog. adolescence, anyone? <laughs> Hello, do you have a teenager dog? Um, you know, but it, it, A, it gets better and B, <laughs> yeah, there's so much, you know, fun and joy that we can, that we can get out of this. And it does work. Mm-hmm. It's extremely effective. And I mean, I, I see a lot of emphasis on, um, I, I really love that we're talking about this because I've, I see so much emphasis on how much better it's going to be for your dog, how much Mm -hmm. better it's going to be for the learner. But I is all accurate, but that isn't where it stops. That's not where it stops. It's like, I am so much happier now. I, I used to spend so much of my day angry, Mm -hmm. so much of my time training, like angry and offended at the way I was interpreting my dog's behavior because of the information that I was given. Yeah. And, if I have to commit to something forever, like if you're out in public, um, what would you rather feed a cookie or yank on the leash? Because Mm -hmm. for me, if I was out in public with my dog in the before times and I went to do a leash pop, I was always very conscious of like, Ooh, this probably looks bad because it felt so bad. Yeah. And now it's like, same, same, same with you. (laughs) Yeah. Who's who cares about, reach into your bag to pull out a piece of chicken or whatever. Like that's, I'm, I'm never ashamed of that. Although I do sometimes that, you know, I have had people say, Oh, I knew you had treats in your pocket. Look how your dog's looking at you. Like it's like some magician's secret. And you're like, Oh, (laughs) you got me. Like, (laughs) which, you know, if that's the worst gotcha moment I have, is that somebody's like, Oh, you have a expose shame video of me feeding my dog chicken by the fistful i don't care <laughs> right i'm gonna be like no that's just an accurate portrayal yeah, this is what Thank we do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i mean i think i think now like if i take my dogs to the park what people are gonna see is my dogs probably on a longer leash sniffing mm-hmm. around maybe doing some running checking in with me me being excited maybe playing some training games tossing them treats mm-hmm. like that to me sounds delightful. <laughs> Absolutely. So if that's what so I'm going involved. to, yeah, you know, if that's what people are going to see, I love that. I would much rather, I'm personally much more comfortable showing that than, you know, a dog walking next to me on a very short leash and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, applying a leash correction every time they look somewhere other than straight ahead. Yeah. Um, that just isn't my personal vibe. Agree. 
Not mine either. <laughs> well, I I'm so excited to share this episode because I think that stories about crossing over are really important to share and to help mm-hmm. people realize that it is a thing you can do and that there are people who will support you. Um, is there, are there any sort of final thoughts that you wanted to share or things we missed that you wanted to make sure to mention? I feel like I covered everything I wanted to cover. Um, which I have to, I'm going to call you out a little bit, but in an appreciative way, Holly has color coded notes and I <laughs> love that a lot. Um, <laughs> Busted. No, you, you were very good at kind of funneling me into these topics. Um, and I have covered all my colors. Love that. We got through the whole rainbow. Well, I, um, like I said, I'm really excited to, to share this and, you know, if people do have questions or want to chat about this topic, like I said, like you said, I'm sure we would be thrilled to do that. Um, If people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that or to see your content? Um, Well, I'm at five freedoms training on Instagram. Um, Direct message me there or send me an email to five freedoms training at gmail.com. Love it. And I'll link both of those in the show notes for people um, so they can get in touch. I will say at the very least, follow Holly on Instagram because there are some, uh, some excellent educational and just hilarious uh, reels to, <laughs> to look at. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Plus you get to see tricks and horses and cats and dogs and, and occasional So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Holly, for coming and for sharing all of this. Um, you know, sometimes these can be kind of vulnerable stories uh, to yeah. share. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you being willing to sort of open up to to this whole topic because I do think it's an important one. For sure. It's important. And I really appreciate you having me. Um, I love that you had the idea for this episode. And I didn't even hesitate when you asked me. I super <laughs> oh, I appreciate, appreciate the invite. <laughs> Always a delight to chat with you. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. New Make It Click episodes are released once a month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. So make sure to hit subscribe to find out when new episodes drop. If you're enjoying our chat so far, I would love it if you would consider joining us on Patreon. Patreon members receive exclusive access to an additional full-length episode each month, Q&A and live office hours with me, a certified dog trainer, and access to other fun and helpful community resources. You can learn more about supporting the podcast and joining the Make It Click Club community at patreon.com slash makeitclick. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at makeitclick.club for episode updates and other training info. Thanks for listening.